Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. Uh, welcome to the first episode of the Epiphany Exchange in 2024. This is actually our 10th episode, and it's the kickoff to our Season 3 series of the Epiphany Exchange. Uh, welcome back to all of our listeners, and thank you again for all of your support. As you know, the Epiphany Exchange is our monthly podcast where the one and only Dr. Daniel Dickey shares his innovations in literacy, leadership, and instructional best practices. I'm your host, Richard Bork. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of Educational Epiphany, and it's always such an incredible honor for me to introduce Dr. Dickey, which I've done many times over the years um, in, in a number of different settings. He is a nationally recognized authority on curriculum, instruction, organizational development, and the administration of schools. He brings 20 plus years of leadership experience in public education and has authored and published a myriad of groundbreaking professional books through his work as the founder and chief executive officer of Educational Epiphany. We're a leading provider of standards-based instructional materials and groundbreaking professional development and more. So welcome Dr. Dickey and happy new year to you, sir. Happy New Year to you, Richard, and Happy New Year to all of our listeners. We thank you uh, for tuning in, tuning in, whether it be on Spotify or on iTunes. We're happy to have you back uh, for another episode. We actually saw um, uh, Spotify did for the first time. They did a rap series, which they do on their um, you know music platform for podcasters, and uh, the growth that we've seen with the Epiphany Exchange with the video series has been phenomenal. So. Thank you again to all of our listeners for, for joining and sharing and subscribing. Uh, we really enjoy having you all as part of our Epiphany community. Um, so without further ado, uh, let's get started and kick right into our 10th episode. And, you know, Dr. Dickey, I past calendar year together with you has been incredible, right? I think 2023 was quite the year for all of us, no matter what industry um, or profession you're in. And so I thought it would be good to ask you and to have our listeners hear from you, you know, since you've been here and there, right, all over the country, what's the number one thing that educators have been asking you for the most? Sure. Um, outside of long-term uh, professional development, which I appreciate because we don't believe in episodic or like one hit. Uh, you know, a, a fancy keynote and then we're gone type of approach to professional learning. Folks have been asking for a long-term professional development. Uh, they've been asking for access to um, teacher resources, supplemental teacher resources, core resources uh, to help them to align, you know, instruction with the expectations that are resident in the standards. But then a third that stands out, uh, which I hope we can talk more about today is Folks have been asking for demonstration lessons. Interesting. Um, are those, you know, across content areas? Have they been asking for a specific content area or a specific format? They've been asking for demonstration lessons for the four content, four core content areas um, across grade bands. So uh, elementary, middle, and high schools alike have been asking for um, opportunities to see either myself or a member of the team, an ambassador, to uh, deliver instruction with their children. Mm. And that's really important. And, I, and it's actually a vote of confidence um, mm. because it is to say that folks are past professional development 
via PowerPoint only. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And what they want to see is the rubber meet the road. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to make recommendations to teachers and to school school leaders what they might do to, you know, give children better access to high quality instruction, but it's another thing to show them. Yeah, and I, I can imagine like as an educator at any level, seeing a real-time classroom environment, right, with all the other variables that take place throughout the school day, what an effective lesson looks like as it's aligned to their state standards or their goals. Mm-hmm. Or their new learning, because folks are learning about the science of reading, yes? But just because I sat in a professional development workshop or workshop series on the science of reading doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to know what to do tomorrow in the classroom. Right. How do I implement and make sure I'm I'm teaching knowledge-based competencies in an effective way, as an sure. example? Yeah. Because you would have learned about knowledge-based competencies and the four elements that make up the knowledge-based competencies of the two buckets that make up the science of reading. But it's another thing to then put it in place in the classroom in real time without it feeling like you've been given a checklist of things to do. Right. Hmm? Folks are getting professional development on standards, and they have been for 20 plus years in this nation. But it doesn't mean that it results in always results in children being given uh, equitable access to instruction um, inextricably intertwined with the expectations that are resident in the standard. And so we've got to come out of, you know, teachers and school leaders are asking us to come out of the PowerPoint and show me we're real kids in real time. Mm-hmm. Let's roll our sleeves up and get, get to work. And can you show us how, what that looks like? Yeah. And, but we got, we have to be careful though with demonstration lessons that they are not seen as just a moment to sit back because it's actually a moment to be in a like a clinical setting. And so whenever you see a, a physician in training, right, to become an MD or a, a surgeon or, or what have you, you see them in clinical sessions. Mm-hmm. You see them taking copious notes um, because their, their day is going to come where they have to be the person responsible for, you know, someone's life or death. Steady hands, right? <laughs> that's right. And that's how I feel about standing in front of children instructionally. Instruction is life or death. The quality of what children receive every day in the classroom is a life or death um, pursuit. It sure is. Mm-hmm. So, but it's not just enough. You know, what pe- you know when you think about like um, an iceberg, um, I haven't seen one in real life. I'm just, I'm only talking to you about what I've read and what I've seen on television. What happened. We should do that though. We should. Yeah. <laughs> go see an iceberg. Yeah. We should, we should take yeah. a helicopter and go try to see one. That'd be nice. Um, you don't see most of the iceberg. Most of it is under the water. And so it's one thing to see the demonstration lesson being uh, implemented in a clinical setting with folks in a fishbowl or watching the deci- the teacher decisions that I'm making and watching children respond to those decisions and benefit from those teacher decisions. But it but it, but that doesn't happen through magic. That happens through planning. Mm-hmm. And so folks I was my response to folks who want to see demo lessons is but you also need to see the plan that I use in order to be able to be prepared to make the decisions that you appreciate 
and to see the impact on on students that you have an appreciation for what you have an appreciation. Right, because it's not just showing up and doing it. It's it's, you know, the beauties in the preparation. And and when you think about like the demands on educators, classroom teachers around pedagogy, right? Like how do how do they teach what they're required to teach or what students really need to learn? And that takes a lot of planning. Yeah. And folks think that pedagogy is just about gradually to responsibility and the five E's, but pedagogy is much deeper than that. So pedagogy, like in layman's terms, is like how you do what you do. Which means as an educator, before I stood in front of other people's children, I always asked myself a series of questions. And how I responded to those series of questions became my sort of like roadmap for the teaching and learning exchange that I was producing for children. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, you know, you see the iceberg, the part of the iceberg that you can see is me standing up in front of kids and being prepared and children getting it, you know, end quote, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, being engaged and meeting the grade level expectation or beyond, but there's something below that. A lot of work, a lot of preparation, a lot of planning. Yeah, and unfortunately, Richard, teachers sit in PLCs, and because PLCs are misunderstood, they don't get the full benefit of having participated in the PLC, but then there's an expectation on them as if they have. Mm -hmm. And how do you find time to create and how do you plan for and find the resources to support a sustainable and effective PLC, a professional learning community? How does that happen? Well, first, it has to be operationally defined. So professional learning community. So I guess it's supposed to be professional, (laughs) right? It's supposed to have a purpose. It's supposed to feel a certain way. It's not supposed to feel like you're being talked down to. It's not, you're not supposed to go in that room and get denigrated. Mm-hmm. Nor is an opportunity to denigrate children or the community in which you serve. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be professional. Mm-hmm. Even the environment, the room has to be professional. Like you can't be walking past unpacked boxes that have been sent from a publishing company to find a seat. Right. You know, the, the, the floorboard has to be clean. The technology has to be in the room and an accelerant to individual and group learning. Right. Sometimes I walk into PLC spaces and then it's, it's a forgotten about closet that's been converted to a quote professional space. Yeah. No windows, no whiteboard, no, right. not a snack, not a drink, not a napkin, not a tissue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. No. But then you have this high expectation of teachers, but you have them in, in an unprofessional environment. Put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm getting Pentecostal now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay, now, professional learning community, which means what? Folks supposed to come in that room and be taught something that they didn't know they didn't know. And learn. Yes, that's the expectation, that you come in this place and no one is going to berate you for not already knowing. But as a professional coming in, you have to you have to come in with humility. Right. You have to be willing to learn 
and sometimes learning is hearing things you don't necessarily want to hear or things you might already feel like you know, but you might not know. Yeah, everybody can be sharpened. How can I call myself a teacher and I don't want to be taught? I love when you say that. I've I've seen I've seen you say that in, in big settings and it's it's an impactful statement. Sure. And the same is true for administrators. How do you how are you principal? Like principal P P R I N C Prince. Like it means like primary. How are you the primary uh evaluator, but you're not also the primary learner? Mm-hmm. So it's gotta be a play a space that is whether it be physical or virtual. That is both professional and that is characterized by folks picking up new knowledge. Yeah. And you have to feel safe to feel that knowledge, to learn that knowledge too, right? Like if you, if you don't know something, you, you should be able to admit or, or ask a question about how to learn something. Admit that you don't know something. It should be yeah. a safe, safe spot, right? But, Rich, but Richard, PLCs are not always safe spots in, in public education in America. They are, they are sometimes all too often spaces where people feel like they have to come in and defend themselves. Is that political? Oh yeah. Politics are going on in PLCs. Right. And uh, what do you call it? Like, um, like, you know, so, you know, those shows survivor, is it those old, old reality shows? Fight or flight. Yeah. They're like groups <laughs> that are forming, you know, yeah. Yeah. in PLCs. And it should, it shouldn't be about that because Culture will eat strategy. And if the culture is one that's characterized by not feeling safe or retribution or like, you know, like, you know, fiefdoms or what have you, people are not available to learn. Been there. I think we've all been there at some point. Absolutely. And so we got to be very careful that the the purpose that, that we live up to the purpose of the PLCs when we assemble. Okay. So it's professional learning and it's a community and so community means you come together for a common purpose and the common purpose of the plc is supposed to be um, making sure that there is alignment between like the expectations from the state as it comes to standards the the districts or the schools viable curriculum so alignment between the state's expectations the district's viable curriculum and in the absence of a viable curriculum, you, you don't have a PLC. You just got a, a bunch of meetings, mm-hmm. right? So whether those, so you got you got curriculum, you got standards, you have your viable curriculum, whether it be your core or your supplemental, mm-hmm. and then you have the alignment between those and what children are receiving each day from the curriculum that's supposed to be aligned to the state's expectations, and then there's supposed to be an alignment to from what kids are receiving every day to how they are assessed along the way formatively and ultimately how they are assessed at the end of the grade or at the end of the course in a summative way. So a PLC is supposed to be, hey guys, let's come together. How are we making sure that the state's expectations are aligned to the curricular resources we have, aligned to what kids are receiving every day aligned to how we are assessing them along the way after they have been exposed to treatment, AKA instruction, mm-hmm. because in a few, in, 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 in um, some weeks down the road at the end of the school year, at the end of the course, we're all going to be put to the test. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose of a PLC. 
How often do you see that? What you just described? Um, I don't see it very often at all. I, you know, to the credit of a group of schools that I'm working with in Charleston, South Carolina, um, Dr. Gatton is her name. She's principal of that school. She is a shy, she and her team are a shiny example of a strict understanding of the purpose of a PLC. You, they have grade level departmental weekly PLCs. Wow. Yeah. And guess what? They're going to show significant gains. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because they come together and they say, hey, sixth grade uh, mathematics, what does the standard say? Uh, and which standards are we getting ready to teach this week? And what curricular resources have been made available to us? And if by chance we don't have what we need, we have a moment to consider it, what we will do as a result. Right. I can imagine being a teacher in that environment where you're like, this is so helpful for me to know what I need to do next week. And if I don't have what I need, I can ask for it or we yeah. can get it or. <laughs> yeah. And they walk through this set of questions that they have in their PLC guide to help them to plan instruction consistent with what they might see in a demonstration lesson facilitated by educational epiphany. Built into it, formative assessments aligned to the summative assessment that the kids will see at the end of the grade or at the end of the course. And they are humming with a, like a spirit of uh, transformation. And, and connectivity, I heard when you were describing like what they were doing. It's, it's, everything is connected. Yeah. And, and teachers don't feel like, now what? Now what are we doing? Now what? There's, there's consistency when you level set on both the expectations and the tools necessary to facilitate um, uh, PLCs. So I just, I heard you mention something about the PLC guide. What, what is that? Well, we developed here at Educational Epiphany a set of a finite number of questions that teachers and school administrators participating in PLC can pose to themselves in order to be fully, what we call fully prepared to plan and deliver instruction consistent with that alignment between what the state um, assumes that we've been exposing kids to and how they're going to be assessed later. And so um, it's, so I'm walking you through the ELA uh, PLC guide, uh, Richard, and then I'll mention the other content areas, the alignment between the ELA, ELA PLC guide and the alignment of the PLC guides for the other content areas, as well as the electives. And so it's in the form of eight questions. And so question number one, and those of uh, who are joining us uh, via video, you're going to see me put this question up on the screen. And those who are, are listening in, um, you'll hear me, you'll hear me say it. Okay. All right. So what makes good instruction, good instruction? You know, we live uh, richer listeners in the age of accountability, whether we like it or not. And right. Truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And because we live um, uh, in the age of accountability, there are these things called standards. And I'm of the humble opinion that what makes instruction quote good or excellent is that it's some way connected 
to how we know kids are going to be assessed. It's not to say that you don't ever teach kids something that's not in a state standard, right? Because that would be myopic. Mm -hmm. That would be boring. But we don't sacrifice outside of the standard for the standard. Standard, cake. Outside of the state of standard, icing. So my first question is, what, which state standard is my lesson progression addressing? So if I'm going to be teaching a given lesson for a period of days, three, five, seven days, sometimes a lesson is not a, can't, can't be wrapped up in a 45 minute, you know, period mm-hmm. or in a 90 minute period. It, maybe that lesson, you, kids have to be progressed through it. Right. So that's why I say lesson progression here. So I assume that a, a, a lesson that is good in some way that has goodness inside of it is connected to how kids are going to be assessed later on. One would hope. Yeah. So sometimes in America, it's about like what page are we turning to in the curriculum? <laughs> That's the wrong question. What does today's pacing guide say? Yeah. And pacing guides are important. So we don't want to, you know, get people's hair in the fire. Right. Right. But the pacing guide is trying to get children to be exposed to the standards. That's the purpose of it. So my first question is, what standard is my series of teaching and learn opportunities that I'm going to prepare for kids? What standard is it to which standard is it connected? Yep. So the beginning of something tells you about the end of something. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So then there's a second question. I'm y'all, y'all, you know, I'm being a teacher right now. I'm using my little sharpie. So I like it you for putting my head down and, and creating moments of silence, but maybe we use these moments of silence to reflect. Right? I like, uh, huh. it's good for 2024. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Why does everything have to be in such a hurry? Right. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the thing, uh, things that's you know wrong with public education in this country that we're all in a hurry, and then as a result, kids are not getting what they need. Okay, <clears throat> here's my second question. You guys, excuse my cough. I've been under the weather. Um, number two, what major literacy, not literary, literary plays, poems, and stories, literacy concepts they cross from informational to literary reading opportunities. What literacy concepts are embedded in my standard? Mm. So if the standard is kids have to identify key details to determine the main idea of the text and summarize the text, distinctive personal opinions and judgments, there are three literacy concepts in that standard. Number one, Key details. That's a literacy concept. You are illiterate if you don't know what key details are. Number two, main idea, a literacy concept. Even though main idea is relegated to informational text and not literary text, it's still a literacy concept. Mm -hmm. Because informational texts have main ideas. Literary texts have morals and lessons and uh, themes and central ideas, right? Okay. Then third, summarizing which means there are three major concepts that are at the core 
of what we need to make sure everyone understands fully and in a calibrated way in PLC. <laughs> right. So that when that you see, yeah, say it again, Rich. That has to happen. Right, and we have to slow down enough in the PLC to do, to identify the literacy concepts that are embedded inside of the standard. Because then they become, they become the, the, the biggest piece of the iceberg. I mean, it's so it, you're just reiterating the point that what you talked about before learning community, like to be able to have the opportunity and the space and the time to dive into these. Yeah. Because you come into the PLC, remember, it's supposed to be a learning space. So everyone has to say, hey, let me see if I fully understand which literacy concepts are embedded in the standard that have to be brought to the surface for kids. Yeah. And it's got to be a place where people say, well, oh, I didn't know. Like I was in Dooley County, uh, Dooley County, Georgia recently, last Friday. Mm -hmm. And I stood in front of the teachers at a high school before they brought kids back for the new year. And a teacher in the PL, in the professional learning opportunity, raised his hand. He said, can you explain to me one more time? What's the difference between a key detail and a detail? And I got excited. Yeah. Because he was willing to admit in that setting, I don't know. <laughs> and I got to teach it. <laughs> you can't teach what you don't know, right? You can't transfer what you don't possess. So you know, but folks will potentially, not because they're bad people, but out of a lack of knowledge, look at a standard and not be able to identify the literacy concepts that are embedded in it. So mm -hmm. in response to that, for question number two, inside of the PLC guide, Educational Epiphany, we developed this tool so that whether you are teaching K2, you're going to see a K2 column here, or 3.5, or 6.8, or 9.12, no matter what state you're in, there's a limited number of con literacy concepts that live inside of your standards. So we, to answer question number two in the PLC guide, we have this chart to help you. Okay? Okay, question number three. And this one is not just about uh, you know, teachers and school administrators. This one is also about students because student-centered instruction is the best kind of instruction known to man. Amen. Mm -hmm. So the questions here, they not only consider what um, adults need, they also help us to consider in the PLC uh, what children might need. Okay, and here's question number three. What teacher and student reminders, excuse me, what teacher and student knowledge, what teacher and student reminders, what teacher and student misconceptions are assumed in the standard? 
So now I got to go back to question number one. Mm-hmm. Question number one was what? What is your standard that your lesson progression is addressing? Then what was number two? What concepts are inside of it? And then what's question number three? Who might have gaps in their knowledge about the concepts embedded in the standard? And as a conscientious educator, what do I need to keep at the top of my thinking so that I can remind myself to remind kids that, hey, guys, main idea is not always the first sentence. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Or what misconceptions might kids have that main idea is what the story is about. No, main idea is what the informational text is about. It's mostly about. Because a lot you'll see it in our demonstration and your demonstration lessons, too, like oftentimes kids will say that they know mm-hmm. right and then they'll, you they'll say that they know what richard they know certain concepts they yeah. know certain academic vocabulary that's inside of the standards the terms and the definitions of those terms yeah mm-hmm. but they don't but they don't they, they've heard it they've seen the word or phrase before but they can't define it. They can give you an example of it, but they can't define it. When you get to the end of grade and end of course assessment, you being able to lift an example of a key detail may not help you find a key detail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the fourth question is still interconnected to one, two, and three. What objective must be taught? And is there more than one? And in what order? Right? So, for example, remember. What, what was the standard? Go back to the standard. Identify key details, uh, deter, uh, determine main idea, uh, summarize the text without personal opinions and judgments. There's two objectives there. Mm-hmm. What's objective number one? Identify key details to determine main idea. And then what's the second one? Determine main idea in order to summarize. Mm-hmm. But you have people because they don't have an opportunity in the PLC to learn that there are two objectives in that dense standard that can't be taught at the same time. Which could be such a critical oversight when it comes to kids' ability to master and Mm -hmm. do well on the assessment. That's right. Because you can't expose kids to a piece of the standard, but then the assessment through instruction expose kids to a piece of the standard through instruction but then the assessment assesses they that they their full understanding of the standard because mm-hmm. half of one of those questions is going to be about the second half of the standard of course yeah okay so we're on question number five and you were alluding to this one a moment ago and i ain't let you go there I, I didn't. I didn't jump in with you. You were right. I couldn't help it. <laughs> no, you were ahead of me. Though you're gifted, um, so uh, I, I held back. But I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna let the floodgate open now with question number five. Okay, here it is. This one's about academic language. Uh huh. And remember, we talked about. Um, the standard, right? What is the standard? 
Yes. That's number one. Number two is, now what concepts are inside of it? And number three, who who might have misconceptions or knowledge gaps Mm -hmm. regarding the concepts that make up the standard? What objectives are living inside of the standard? Remember, one could be hidden. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Identify key details to determine main idea. Determine main idea in order to uh, summarize and folks want to be all caught up on should I put I can in front of it or students will be able to that doesn't matter right. oh I needed to be kid friendly well what's friendly is that the language is in it mm-hmm. okay here's question number five and it's an anthology of a question but I think it's important what academic language must be taught before the teacher models how to identify key de- key details to determine main idea what academic language must be taught before the teacher models how to determine main idea in order to summarize? Because right. if I'm going to stand, I'm sorry, Richard, go ahead. No, I mean, you can model something for kids, but if they don't know what's inside of what you're modeling, then it doesn't, yeah. Right. So you sound like an adult from Charlie Brown. So you're up modeling using the word key details, you're using the word main idea. And if they don't have an operational definition rolling around a solid one, rolling around in their consciousness, they, they're listening, but they're not listening. They're listening, but they can't hear you. Mm-hmm. And they're hearing different definitions oftentimes too, right? From others who came before us as their teachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then second part of question number five is how will the academic language both be taught and assessed? Cause it's one thing to say, Hey kids, Key details are important words and, f- words and phrases that are directly connected to the main idea. So then I might say, well, Richard, tell me, what are key details? Oh, important words and phrases directly connected to the main idea. Yeah. But now I just know what Richard thinks. Right. So I got to teach it and then go back and check to see if they held on to it. Yeah, what you're describing here especially is making me really see how a demonstration lesson would help me. Elaborate on that for me, Rich. Like how exactly do you put this objective on the board and how do you help children identify terms inside of a text that they may not understand or terms inside of a standard that they may not understand? You know, that goes back to that thing we were talking about before around pedagogy. It's, it's, it's not just about what you need to teach. It's how you teach it. How do I teach that? Yeah. Particularly, you know, when you have, because this is what I hear people say often, um, particularly when you have children at different, like ability levels in the same classroom at the same time, right. which means you must level the playing field. How? Through asking oneself these questions. Because when you ask yourself these questions, you, you are positioning yourself to level the playing field for children who are highly able and gifted and ready to go before what when they walked into the door. Mm-hmm. Children who are in the middle of the road, children who are shaky, and children who are multiple grade levels below the grade le- level expectation. So we think, well, <coughs> well, these are these kids are, are, are gifted in advance. They already know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, they don't. Many times they don't. Right. So a rising tide lifts every boat. So when you check every kid's understanding of every term that lives inside of the objective, you accelerate every student group in your classroom. Everybody moves forward. Yes. Growth. Yeah. Results. Yeah. 
which is how schools are judged, you know, on growth, but achievement. And I think both are important. You know, achievement is the expectation. Now, I'll take growth, but I do want kids to hit the proficiency bar. Mm-hmm. Okay. So question number six, all interconnected. Mm-hmm. What text am I going to use for each phase of gradual release? What do you mean each phase of gradual release? I've got two objectives. I'm not going to teach them both at the same time. Identify key details to determine main idea. What text am I going to use when I am modeling how to identify key details to determine main idea? What text am I going to use in the we do when I have kids in the whole group and I'm having them do a piece of it at a time and I'm looking over their shoulder? What text am I going to use when I put them in partners to identify key details to determine the main idea? What text am I going to use when I have them work alone to identify key details to determine main idea? And look at the second part of this question, Richard. This is the mind blower right here. And what did I learn when I read the text Right. before I used the text with children, whether it be in the I do, the we do, the you do the pairs, or the you do alone? The part of the iceberg that you can't see, right? That's right. Because, yeah. yeah. Why? Because... Some kids are going to need some scaffolding to be able to handle that text. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And kids know too, like if you haven't read the text and you don't, <laughs> they know. Yeah, because. They can tell. The kinds of questions, the kinds of answers that kids are going to give to key details and main idea and summarizing type prompts from the teacher will reveal to the teacher that kids either don't understand what main idea is, what key details are, what summarizing is, or will reveal to the teacher and or will reveal to the teacher that that the text was a brick wall for them. Mm -hmm. That the language of the text, the complexity of the text was a brick wall for them as the reader. Because what you, how you pick the text helps you to determine whether or not if the te- is the textual issue that's keeping kids from getting to proficiency or is it the question that they don't understand? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a seventh question and my handwriting is getting progressively worse. <laughs> <laughs> That'll happen. That'll happen. <laughs> okay. I'm trying. Um, Sharpie starts to wear out a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. Okay, here it is. Okay, question number seven. All interconnected to the previous six. Number seven. What graphic organizer might support students? This is student center, Richard. Mm-hmm. What graphic organizer do I have in my district provided viable curriculum or in my supplemental educational epiphany resource? Mm-hmm. That will help me to support students' conceptual understanding of the objective. Uh Uh-oh. Go back to number six. Number six says, what text am I going to use for gradual release? This is saying, what graphic organizer am I going to use for gradual release? That's that text. Yeah, that's sitting right next to the text. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) when I model for students, do I orient them first to the graphic organizer I'm going to be using? So yeah. if it is <clears throat> if it is a, a main idea, you know, imperative mm-hmm. that 
I'm trying to get kids to proficiency on. I might need a graphic organizer that that helps me get them there. Mm-hmm. Hold me an idea out of them. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So also, Doc, that with with support around the academic language. Yeah, that's right. Because it's the language that we taught at the very beginning of the lesson before we model that helps children to be able to effectively use the graphic organizer that has the language inside of it, consistent with how they're going to be assessed later. Okay, so y'all excuse me in TV land for this little raggedy sketch that I have. I actually have graphic organizers that we have laid out and designed and included in our supplemental and core resources. But for the sake of illustrating here, number seven, I've sketched this in real time. Okay. Richard, I know this is not branded. Okay. No, no, but now, now, now you all are seeing some of the texts I get from Dr. Dickey with some <laughs> ideas and sketches. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, Richard, you've taken my sketches and done one. <laughs> okay. So remember, we're identifying key details to determine main idea. That's the first of the two objectives that live inside of this standard that this lesson progression is addressing. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in an I do and I'm modeling for kids, I'm going to say, kids, y'all sit still. We're going to read this text and y'all going to watch me fill in the title. Determine the topic, which is not the same as the main idea. The topic is too broad to be the main idea. And children confuse the two and the rise of the assessment. They mix them up in the multiple choice, uh, possible answer choices in the, on the end of grade and end of course assessments. And then when you see down here are three key details to support what we say is the, what I say is the main idea when I'm modeling. So I need a piece of text and I need this organizer and kids need to watch me. And what's down here at the bottom of the graphic organizer, which is down at the bottom of all of our educational epiphany graphic organizers is every the term and the definition for all of these terms, title, topic, main idea, key details. So where kids are doing the work, they have access to the language. It's selfishly my favorite part because I so wish I had that in school. Hell, I wish I had it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, you can clearly see like how creating the culture and the systems for high quality professional learning communities and the environment in which they're conducted along with culture mm-hmm. and the supports needed. Right. I can see how this is something that everyone's asking you about and with support for. Yeah. But, but Richard, it's one thing for me to hand people this graphic organizer and say, Hey, ask yourself, you know, no, here's a, a graphic organizer. I'm saying at the planning table, before we stand in front of kids, before I stand stood in front of kids in the demo, I had to ask myself, what tool am I going to use to get kids off of my thinking? Mm-hmm. Right? So the, I do, I'm going to use this tool, this graphic organizer, the, we do, <clears throat> I'm going to use this tool. What I mean by that? We do is misunderstood. Mm. It's supposed to be, Hey kids, I'm going to see if my modeling for you and teaching you what all of these words meant helped you any. Mm-hmm. It's a formative assessment opportunity. So I'm going to give you a new piece of text, which is question number seven. We do. And together we're going to do this. I'm not going to do the thinking for you guys. I already did the thinking for you when I model. Now we're going to do the thing, which means you really. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we just read this second text. 
and I knew what text I was going to use because I already asked myself at the planning table. Okay, kids, everybody pick up your pencil. We're getting ready to do it. Write what you think is the title, and I'm going to mark every paper. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. Good job. Mm-hmm. Buddy, that's not the title. I want the title. I'm coming back. Mm-hmm. Good, job. Good job. I'm coming back. Yeah, buddy, that's the title. Mm-hmm. We just did the first part. Everybody, put your pencil down. Listen. Now I want you to tell me what you believe to be the subject of the text. And y'all, that's not the main idea. The main idea is what the text is mostly about. Mm-hmm. The topic is bigger than the main idea. So the topic might be volcanoes, but the main idea might be volcanoes are dangerous. <laughs> are you right. with me? So yeah. pick up your pencil and tell me what you think is the topic of this text we just read, and I'm going to mark every paper. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Yeah. Okay, then. Now, everybody, put your pencil down. Looks like all of you understand topic. Pick up your pencil. We're getting ready. You're getting ready to tell me what about the topic is this text about. That's the main idea. Go. And I'm going to mark every paper in this room. Now, put your pencil down. Good job, everybody. I'm watching, too, y'all. Y'all a little shaky over there. You might be in a small group with me in a minute. Don't worry. Don't, 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 don't laugh at them because you could be in my small group tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, everybody pick up your pencil. Give me a key detail that points directly to the main idea. And if it doesn't point directly to the main idea, it's just a detail. I need a key detail. What's a key detail? And put it down here, down at the bottom, it's an important word or phrase directly connected to the main idea. Don't, don't just give me a detail. Okay, everybody, good. Good job. Good job. Now give me another one. Now, give me one more. Now we're ready to work in partners. So now I'm going to give you another text. And I'm going to give you this same blank graphic organizer, and you're going to work as a team. And I'm going to walk around and give you support, but I'm not going to do the work for you. And then when you're done with that and you're successful, I'm going to give you a fourth piece of text, and you're going to do this all by yourself. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Now we're cooking with gas. And grease. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when this happens for kids, um, you know, on a regular basis, our kids achieve because we can't wait until the end of the grade end of course assessment to assess them. We have to assess them formatively along the way. Through what? The planning table conversations we're having in the PLC. It's all connected. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm almost done. I have two more questions. Um, here's, the, here's the next to the last one. And I, I truncated a little bit uh, so folks don't get bored with me. Okay, number eight. What questions need to be posed um, to students connected to the objective? Mm. Wait a minute. Identify key details to determine main idea Determine main idea in order to summarize without personal opinions and judgments. There's a set of questions that all kids, no matter what level they are in terms mm-hmm. of ability and past performance, that they need to be able to answer. Mm-hmm. 100%. So what, let's walk through those. So identify key details in order to determine main idea. Here's the first question. What does identify mean? Right. What are key details? How are details different than key details? What do key details have to do with determining main idea? Mm-hmm. What is main idea? 
How is main idea different than topic? Which one is too broad to be the main idea? Is it the topic or is it the key details? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those are the questions that I need to ask myself in the PLC or at least generate. Because <clears throat> how do you teach it until you know it or ask right. yourself that or your team? Right. right. And so, but, but, but teachers come into a PLC and somebody's talking to them the whole time. A PLC is supposed to be thinking time. Yeah. Don't talk at me, right? Please let me process. Mm-hmm. Determine a main idea in order to summarize. What does determine mean? What is main idea? Is it the same as central idea? Right? Right? So it's a, what is a summary? How is a summary different than a paraphrase? What makes a summary objective? What does objective mean? That's a set of questions. Yeah. Okay. And my final one is um, number nine. Is there a writing opportunity? Mm -hmm. Is there a writing opportunity? Been talking a lot about writing lately. Mm -hmm. Now, some people will say to teachers, uh, or say to school administrators to say to teachers, kids need to write every day. Wait a minute. Hmm. This is writing. That I'm, I am reading a piece of text. I'm writing the title. I'm identifying a topic. I'm identifying the main idea. I'm finding a key detail. I'm citing the key detail that supports the development of the main idea. That is standards informed writing. But I understand what folks mean by we want to focus on writing because in an increasing way, I have folks um, asking me for professional learning opportunities for teachers and school administrators on teaching kids to write. I get that. But we don't force writing. Writing is a response to reading. Like speaking is a response to write to reading. So I, I read something, I'll speak about it. I read something, I write about it. So my question is, is there a writing opportunity directly connected to um, a standards informed reading opportunity? So there are, and we're doing this in an increasing way around the country, leading PD on what it takes to get kids to write. So I'm, for the sake of time, I won't go too deeply into it, but let me lay out this, let me lay this out for you. So there are four types of writing that kids in kinder through 12th grade should get the opportunity to do that are informational in nature. And so I'm asking folks to ask themselves in the PLC, can you build a writing opportunity into your lesson progression, if it's appropriate? Four types of writing, here they are. Informative, explanatory, opinion, argumentative. And these belong to certain grade levels, okay? Mm -hmm. Right? And so once I understand the four types of writing, then I can make sure that if kids are, are past, you know, second grade, that they understand the relationship between the text types, the four text types, and the six text structures. For the sake of time, I, I can't go into it here, but there's when you're going to write one of these four ways, you have to structure it one of these six ways. I think you just gave us the idea for the next episode. 
oh, okay, we might have to go into that in the next episode. Okay, I hear you. Uh, I love I love when you talk about tech structures and mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, we just had we just had that conversation the other day. Yeah. And then there is this relationship that must be understood by children, even as early as kindergarten, between text types and thesis statements. Okay, so text types, K-12. Text structures, 312. Thesis statements, K-12. So when kids are going to write one of these four ways, they have to make a consideration past second grade how they're going to structure it, but including kinder and first and second, they have to determine what one statement is going to guide my writing as the writer and what statement, same statement, can I put out to the reader so the reader can know what I'm going to say before I say it. Mm. So a thesis statement is a roadmap for the writer and it is also an announcement to the reader. But folks are having kids write without a knowledge of this. Mm-hmm. And we're doing things like the race strategy. Oh, maybe that's not going to get you to the finish line. No. So, no. So, so you say, well, Doc, well, that was all ELA. You didn't talk about the other content areas. There's something in common with these PLC guides across content areas, but then specifically, I might take two or three questions out of the ELA one and replace them with a math specific question mm-hmm. out of the ELA one and replace it with a couple of social studies specific questions because the content areas require me to think about the questions that we might pose in order to be able to plan and deliver these demonstration lessons that folks are asking for around the country in a way that you know provides children with unfettered access to instruction of the highest quality. So mm-hmm. though I didn't get to the other content areas, tune in in the future for, uh, to some of our podcasts and maybe perhaps we'll cover it, get in touch with us mm-hmm. uh, and we can do school-based, um, virtual, in-person, uh, individual school, cluster of schools, entire school district, state department, professional development, on this PLC guide and the specificity of, a, of, the, of the other core content areas and the electives. Wow. <laughs> I mean, such a new innovative way to think as always, Dr. Dickey, you're, you're always innovating. And I can see why so many educators in the last year and even through this beginning of the new year are asking you and us at Educational Epiphany and the team of ambassadors for support around this. Um, so, you know, thank you for that demonstration lesson. <laughs> I love the writing. I love the Sharpie. It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's good. Well, I don't know. We'll let folks tell us rich. I don't know yeah. if, if I should have yeah. pre-written or what, cause it's, but that's not authentic, you know? Right. And, and, you know, we like to be authentic. It's good. Yeah. I don't want to have like, oh, since you asked and it's already prepared, you know. (laughs) Um, Well, thanks, Dr. Dickey, as always. And thanks to our listeners for joining us, our first episode of 2024. And um, if you would like more information about anything we talked about today, just email us at educationalepiphany.com. And if you haven't seen or received your copy of our new products and services catalog, please reach out to us. If you just email us at that address or hit us up on Twitter at Daniel D, 
we'll be sure to respond to you and um, make sure you get a copy. You can also find it on our website in our e-catalog section. And be sure to tune in to the Epiphany Exchange podcast on video through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Buzzsprout for the audio version still, as always. And we look forward to seeing you next month for episode 11. So thanks, everyone, for joining us. And thanks, Dr. Dickey, for that amazing episode. Thanks, Richard, for being the the host of this amazing podcast, if I must say so myself. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, everyone.